0: Okay, you young drivers just want to start out by telling you, you cannot do that in our parking lot. We just did that for the video. That's totally not true. That's totally not true. We, did, we do that occasionally. So we're in this series, <laughs> we're in this series uh, called uh, Summer Playlist. When we were putting this series together, we almost called it Mixtape, but nobody under 30 would know what a mixtape was. <laughs> So I thought I would let you know what a mixtape is, you younger folks. So a mixtape, uh, for those of you who remembers what a mixtape was, you made a mixtape, tell the truth. Yeah, we, we, many of us, we're showing our age, have made mixtapes, and it took a commitment to make a mixtape. You had to gather all your cassette tapes in one pile, and this one, if, if, if you were lucky, 90 minutes of, of music on two different sides, and you had to fast forward and rewind to hear what you wanted to hear, but you had to sit there. Depending on your mood, you'd grab a tape and say, I want this one on there, the tape you listen to with your buddies around, the one you listen to with your girlfriend around, you know, totally different uh, playlists or mixtapes. And so in doing some research for this message, I dug into my archives and I found my late 1980s mixtape songs, and we're going to play a little game. They're going to play, and then you're going to, you just yell out, who the band is, and I'll talk about it a little bit. All right, let's go, let's play it. Oh yeah, everybody knows that one. It's Van Halen. Uh, But it's gonna get more difficult as as it goes along. So this one was on all of my mixtapes, of course. It's a great song. And then we move on a little bit. Got another song from the 80s. Aha, very good. That one had a really cool video that went with it. Who remembers that video? That was really cool. Saw the lady from that video interviewed. She does not look like she looked in that video. And then what 80s mixtape would be complete with the bit of Michael Jackson? I actually considered doing a little dance into this, but I'm not gonna do it. Uh, but everybody had to have, even, even people that didn't like that kind of music like Michael Jackson, because he was just that cool. And then there's a couple other ones on here that we need to get on our mixtape, yeah. Lover Boy, Working for the Weekend, but then there are these other songs that guys put on their mixtapes. When they're when you had a fight with your girl, you didn't let anybody hear these songs, but when you're driving down the road by yourself and and you've had a fight, and you're just thinking, I'm sorry, and you play a group like Chicago or somebody like that, that you could get beat up for in some circles, but still had it on your tape. And then to me, probably the greatest band of the 1980s, I think, Back then, it uh, was Def Leppard. I saw they're going to be at Walnut Creek soon. They've they got to be like 60 years old, still trying to do that. But back then, they were really cool. So what we're looking at is a book in the Bible that essentially is a mixtape, but we're going to call it a playlist because that makes more sense today. We're looking at the playlist that's throughout the book of Psalms. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. We'll give you one of those. You can keep it, you can borrow it, you can also read along on the screen from all the scriptures that I share today. So the book of Psalms is about a 3,000-year-old playlist. It's made up of a bunch of songs. It's the longest book in the Bible. It was written by a bunch of different people. A lot of anonymous people wrote psalms, uh, but two people that if you know much about your Old Testament, you may have heard of, King David wrote many of the psalms. Uh, Actually, Moses wrote some psalms. And the psalms were used throughout the generations in the church and still are to help reflect our hearts towards God. Jesus actually quoted the psalms. The first century church would have sung from the book of Psalms. They would have had it set to music, maybe chant, and they would have used the words of the Psalms to communicate their heart to God. Many of the songs we sing borrow lines from this 3,000 year old book to help communicate our, our desires and our worship to God. There are Psalms that reveal a repentant heart. There are Psalms that reveal a fearful heart there are psalms of regret. There are psalms of praise, but through the ages, they've been used by people who believe in God, who follow Christ, to reflect what's on their hearts, to speak to God on their behalf. In fact, fourth-century church leader Athanasius said the psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of the scriptures speak to us, while the psalms speak. For us. So, we've chosen a few Psalms to go through this summer. We started last week with Psalm 1. We're not going to go through uh, sequentially through the Psalms, we're going to look at a different one today. But we chose this book for the summer because uh, if you're like me, your routine gets thrown off quite a bit in the summer. Kids are going in all kinds of different directions, you're traveling, uh, days are longer, you've just got more stuff going on, and maybe your routine changes. Maybe you're not at church very many times. Maybe this is like the only shot I've got with you for the whole summer. And if you're in a small group, maybe uh, th- that small group doesn't meet or doesn't meet as much in the summer. So we decided, well, let's do a series through the summer that we can all kind of journey through together. But even if you're not here or you're not in a small group to talk about it, you can still engage with God's word on your own. And so that's why we're doing this particular series through the summer. And by the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to go on a journey with us for the rest of this summer. We talked a little bit about it last week. I'm going to give you some more specifics about how you can engage with God's word over the next several weeks. So the Psalm we're looking at today is 119. There's some interesting things about this Psalm. It's the longest of all the Psalms. And if you're taking notes, uh, you're going to hear things about... uh, how to avoid regret, how to avoid sin, how to get direction in life. Psalm 119 talks a lot about the path that we should be on. And a few interesting observations about this psalm, if you're looking on uh, your Bible app or if you're looking at Bible we gave out or any Bible that you have, it's divided into 22 sections and there's 176 lines in this psalm. But each of the 22 sections, you'll see a little heading if you look in the Bible or on your app uh, that corresponds with that Hebrew letter. So it, it starts out with Aleph and then Beth and then Gamel. That's the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If we did it, it would be section A, section B, section C. And scholars think that this psalm was used to help teach children the Hebrew alphabet because for them, the Bible was all of life. Everything they had, they would have had in their, the, the Torah, as they called it, they would have had it in their hands, and they would have wanted to teach that to children. And the way they did it in this psalm was they think, well, they used this. The reason it's divided into 22 sections, all corresponding with the Hebrew alphabet, it was used to help teach kids the Hebrew alphabet. Some scholars even say that it was used by a guy named King David, who wrote many of the Psalms to teach his young son Solomon, who eventually became king of Israel. The Hebrew alphabet, all surrounded by God's word. And as you read it, you can kind of hear that this is an, uh, one generation passing on the truth of God to another generation. So it begins with this focus, this in one area, focusing on God's commands. And he looks at God's commands from different perspectives. He titles God's commands different things. Starting in verse one, it says this. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. So here's a writer of this psalm saying, God, what I want to do is to be able to look at my life and then look at your commands, and I want that to line up. But he realizes he's human and that doesn't always happen. And he says, God, just don't give up on me because I'm not going to stop trying. I'm not going to stop making the best effort I can to line my life up with your commands. That's what I want to do. And as I'm doing this, God, don't give up on me. If you've ever been at a place in life, you feel like somebody's given up on you and maybe they have, there's always a place you can go. God will never give up on you. You may line your life up right now and think, how does my life fit against God's commands? And it may look horrible. It may not even look like the same thing. There may be very little in your life that reflect the commands of God, but God hasn't given up on you. And that's what this writer is saying to whoever's reading it, probably a younger generation saying, "You need to understand. Your life needs to be lined up, and you need to the way you thank God for all He's done for you is live His commands. And if it isn't, you just need to understand God don't give up on me because he won't. And so he goes on to talk about how he writes these Psalms. Later he says, your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. So whatever he writes, he's saying, I'm always thinking about your commands, your decrees, your law. And he starts to build the case that these commands from God are something worth building our lives upon. Later on, he says, the very essence of your words is truth. All your just regulations will stand forever. He's saying it's all true. It will all last. You can trust it. These aren't just good ideas that we read about in God's word. They are words that make a difference in our lives. It's what Jesus was talking about in the New Testament book of Matthew, When Jesus was speaking to a group of people who had just heard him talk about commands, talk about how to live, and then Jesus says these words, "'Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish.' like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Jesus makes a couple of observations here. One, no matter who you are, you're building. You're building a life. You're building a house. Everybody does that. No matter how old, how young, how educated, uneducated, rich, poor, doesn't matter. You're building you're building a house. Nobody can escape that. The other thing Jesus says, no one's exempt from storms coming into their life. Everybody builds and everybody's gonna have storms. And so what he's trying to say is, if you're building anyway, and you're gonna have storms anyway, then why not build your house on something that will hold up in the middle of those storms? And he says, those are his teachings. Those are God's words. You can read Psalm 119 in about 15 minutes, 15 minutes of your day dedicated to reading Psalm 119, and you'll find some really practical benefits of what God's word can do in your life. And as you read it, you can get that sense that it's somebody older passing on wisdom to somebody younger, probably younger in age, but also younger in their faith. Here's just some samplings of what Psalm 119 can help us do. God's word can help me avoid sin. Knowing God's word can can help me avoid the things that separate me from God. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So God's word in my heart helps me avoid the sin, which are the things in my life that cause me to miss the ideal that God has for my life. Many years ago, Back around uh, 2000, 2001, I would sit with a group of college kids, and mostly guys, and we would, always guys, in our guys' Bible study, we, only guys came to that. So in our guys' Bible study, we would talk about God's word, we'd talk about what was going on in our life, we'd talk about the things that were really, we were struggling with, and that's about the time that the internet moved from being uh, you know, dial-up to on all the time. It wasn't in the palm of your hand yet, but it was, it was on its way. And when that happened, a lot of things became available more easily than were available before, specifically looking at pornography. And I can remember these guys sharing, we don't wanna do that, but gosh, an email comes and it's so, it's so tempting and, and I just before I know it, I've looked at more than I should look at and I'm getting in a habit of doing that, that shouldn't happen. I need help. And I can remember... That particular semester, the guys that shared that, I thought, I, w- I want to help them. Because every guy that's honest, well, clearly that's a struggle. And so I went home and, and I made these little cards for them to take and put on their computers. Now, at that time, nobody could afford carrying around a laptop. So you, didn't, you had a big monitor, like, you know, 60 pounds or something like that, sitting on your desk. And I gave each of them these little cards and I said, tape this on your monitor and see if this helps. And it was from Psalm 101, where it says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. And as the years went on, so many of those guys said, that one verse from Psalm 101.3, that one verse spoke to me. And every time I was tempted, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. It was right there in front of me. Those words kept me from sinning, is what they would say. That's the power of God's word in somebody's life. God's word will also provide direction for my next steps. If you're at a dark time, if you don't know what the next steps are in your life, listen to this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. As I was putting this message together, I remember this Bible that I had. So I went to my office and I looked for it and I found it. It's the first Bible that I actually read. I was in college and I started reading it. I was a dark time in my life and, and I read it. I don't even remember where I got it but it's an old King James Bible. It's a wonder I could even understand it. I remember reading those words though and finding a light in a dark time in my life. And I thumbed through those pages and I found the yellow highlights in the notes that I made where I felt like I think God is pushing me to make a big decision in my life. And I still have wrote in the front of it the date I accepted Christ is one of my prized possessions. Because at that time, God's word lit up my path when I was at a dark place. And if you feel like right now you're at a dark place in your life, you're having a relational dark time or emotional or spiritual, whatever darkness is in your life, God's word can light your path. Wherever you think you're headed down one direction, God's word can help you turn around and get back on the path that you should be on. God's word will also give me life. Number 93 of Psalm 119 says, I will never forget your commandments for by them you gave me life. Now he's talking a lot about commandments and when you hear the word commandments, depending on, now some of us in here grew up in church, some didn't. If you grew up in church, you may have heard commandments and you think, oh, that means I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm not supposed to do that. For me, growing up, commandments took all the fun out of life. Like, if there's some fun to have, there's got to be a commandment against that, and I'm sure I'm going to hear about it. That's how some people learn about commandments, that they're designed to suck the fun out of your life. And if you grew up hearing that, you didn't hear the right thing, because God's commandments aren't designed... To be like, how many of you have ever thought this in your life? You don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand. If you didn't die with the right prayer on your lips and the right thing in your heart and the moment you died, you weren't saying that prayer, you were like in the smoking section for eternity. That's what would happen. Where is freedom in that? Where is the love of God in that? It's like, I, 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 no, who would that appeal to? It would do a great job scaring people for short periods of time. But when you try to line that up with what God's word says about his commands, his commands are life-giving. His commands bring freedom. His commands bring peace. His commands aren't something that pull out of the fun out of our life. It's something that gives energy to our life. So when you hear this writer of Psalm 119 talking about commands, he's talking about life-giving, life changing for the better Command. He's talking about what Jesus was talking about when he said, build your life on something that will last. Because everybody in here, you're building your life on something. You're building your life on a career. You're building your life, maybe another person in a relationship. You're building it on money. You're building it on something. And Jesus comes along and says, build it on me. Because none of those things, if you choose to build your life on something other than him and his words, will get you through the difficult times in life. None of those things will stand the test of time. And they started back in in, in the Jewish nation, in the Hebrew nation, they would have started teaching little kids God's word at a very early age. Not only did they obviously use it to teach them the Hebrew alphabet, they used it to teach them, this is what will sustain you. And they had a really interesting way of teaching their kids that's reflected in verse 103 of 119 when he says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. At that time in the world, the sweetest substance known to man was honey. They didn't have glazed blueberry Krispy Kreme donuts. That now is the sweetest substance, I think, known to man. I I, mean, I do indulge maybe once a month. That's about it. I'll pick a day and like, I'm going for it. I'm pulling in and I'm getting one of those 400 calorie donuts because it's so dang good. And then I have to fight it the rest of the time. But that's, that's probably the sweetest substance on earth. For them, it was honey. And when they would teach the little kids about God's word and how to long for God's word, the priest would literally dip the scrolls or the slate or whatever God's word was written upon in honey and hand it to the kids and they would eat it right off of God's word. So forever for them, there was an association between sweetness and God's word. It's the same reason that we give little kids candy sometimes when they memorize a verse. Memorize your verse, you get a prize, you get candy. It's the same reason that many of your kids, the little kids who are over in LifePoint Kids right now, made you come to church today that said, I don't want to miss that. I want to go. And how can you say no to your kid when they ask you that? It's the same reason they come out of there learning how to apply God's word into their lives. And then they start to associate God's word with fun, God's word with enjoyment, and smiles, and laughter, and even candy sometimes. That's what People have been doing to get God's word into people's lives for thousands of years. So can you imagine this psalmist when he's writing down your words are sweeter than honey? He's remembering being a little kid and that priest handing him God's word. They even had a special ceremony that went with it. Now for some of us, if we grew up in church, learning God's word was like, eat your broccoli. (laughs) It's good for you it'll make you strong, and it'll make your life better. It's like, I think I'll pass. I mean, I'm not sure. But many of us, probably all of us, mom or dad or whoever was the leader of our house, they're sitting there saying, it doesn't matter if it tastes bad, doesn't matter if it makes you gag, you're gonna eat it. That's not how God's word should be presented in our lives. It's like, I don't care how it makes you feel, you're gonna eat it, you're gonna obey it, you're gonna do it. When we decide what we're going to teach at Life Point and how we're going to teach it. When we say, let's do a series on, we don't say we really need to use one of our pastors, one of our pastor's cars in that opening video. We really need to use Joel's car and spin out in the parking lot. Let's just teach something around that. We don't do that. We think about how can we help people get God's word applied in their life on a day-to-day basis and all that other kind of, all that other stuff, colors and art and all that stuff, that comes later. But how can we get God's word into people's lives in a way they don't just know it? Because you can know God's word and not know God, but you can't know God without knowing God's word. So how do we do that? We teach deeply. And deep teaching is teaching that teaches people how to apply God's word into their life today. Now, there's another way to teach, and it's valid. It's more academic where I could throw out dates and facts and figures and and, and all these, you know, and and read 75 verses in the next 20 minutes. I I could do all of that, but I don't think it would teach you how to apply God's Word to your life. Teaching that's deeper is teaching that reveals how to live God's commands on a day-to-day basis. We start that with kids, and we bring it right on here in this room with everybody else. So when they were giving kids the scroll and honey, essentially what they were doing was they were teaching kids how to feed themselves. They were teaching them, this is how you feed yourself with God's word. And when we're, when our kids are growing up, you know, eventually there's a the day. If you have a little kid, maybe you have a baby, eventually you're going to have that baby hold its own fork eventually that baby is gonna figure out how to wake itself up and come in and get dinner and walk over to the refrigerator itself and fill up its milk cup. And you're not gonna have to do that. And if you have kids really young, you're like, praise the Lord, when does that day come? But eventually it comes. Eventually, parents, you're gonna look at your kid and say, I'm not wiping that anymore. That is your job now. I've done that long enough. And then they'll be potty trained. Life will be different. Eventually, if that doesn't happen, if they're still 12 years old and and you're still having to take care of all that stuff for them, either you have failed miserably as a parent or there's something on the outside that, you know, that health or uh, something physical, mental or something like that that you had no control over. But something is wrong if a child doesn't learn how to feed and take care of itself. You could come here every Sunday morning Every Sunday morning this summer, you can say, I'm not going to miss a Sunday. I can't give you what you need to grow. I can inspire you. I can make you laugh. I can say things that might convict you and make you think about something else. But I can't make you grow. We can't sing enough songs to make you grow. The only way you're really going to start to grow in your understanding of what God's commands can do in your life is to learn how to feed yourself. That's the only way. We'll do our job. I'll keep doing my job, making it interesting and engaging and and interactive as much as we can. But the bottom line is, you got to learn how to pick up your own fork. You got to learn how to change your own diaper. You got to learn how to feed yourself. And if you're not, something isn't right. And so when we decided, let's go through a series this summer where each week stands alone because people travel a lot. You might not be able to be here every week why not let's do something this summer where we can engage together in God's word in such a way that helps people learn how to start to feed themselves. And so that's what we've done. We've created a couple of things that you can do. The first one is you can just start to open up God's word and read it, especially through the Psalms. We're going to have a Psalm a day. And the way we're gonna encourage you to do that is to use this really simple method that it's just one word. If you're a parent, you definitely know this word. The word is soap. Soap, just remember that. Each letter stands for something. And if you're in one of our grow groups, you know what soap means. You've gone through a soap study before. And, And here's what the letters mean, in case you don't know. The first one just is scripture. Just to engage with God's scripture, just read it. Start to underline things, circle things, check things, highlight. Maybe something spoke to you out of that particular scripture. Write it down. What stands out to you? Underline that. Rewrite it in a journal. Then observation. Start to observe. Well, this is a scripture and I've read it what are some observations I can make? What are some repeated words or phrases? Like if we were doing that with Psalm 119, we would observe that in those first few verses, he uses several different words to describe the commands of God. He uses decrees, he uses commandments, he uses instructions. Why would he do that? Why would he just not say, God, I want to obey your law and it's really tough? Why does he use so many words to talk about God's law? And God's desire for our life. That's a good observation to make. Maybe you write down a summary of the passage on your own. Then application. Real study of God's word hasn't happened until you decide how am I gonna apply this to my life? How am I gonna act differently? How's my attitude gonna change? How's my life gonna change? How are the words I use, how are those gonna change because I read this about God's life. And then the last part is prayer. And prayer is not only saying, God, I need you to do this. And God, it'd really be nice if you could do that. And God, please, please do this for me. Sometimes that is prayer. But sometimes prayer is, God, search my heart. God, search my motives. Help me understand how to apply these words into my life. If you do that this summer, you will grow. Whether you do it in a group, maybe you're already in one, whether you get in a group by going to our website, going to findmygroup.com, and you find a group to get in this summer, or if you don't have the schedule that allows you to do that this summer, you can sit by yourself or sit with your family, and you can start to taste the sweetness of God's word in your life simply by going through this method. And then another thing that we're going to do, we're going to interact with each other a little bit, those of us who can We've got a Facebook page. You heard about it last week. If you were here, just go to Facebook, search LifePoint Summer Playlist, and you'll be able to interact. Every week we'll have, every day we'll have a different psalm, may or may not be the one that we talked about on Sunday, but we will have one that people are making, uh, talking about the scripture. Uh, they're making observation, application. What are they praying about? And you can interact and leave comments and say, "Well, this is what I really." God's trying to say, or this is how I'm going to apply this in my life, and then post it there, or just read what other people have written, and let's interact together as we journey through this this summer. Now, if you're not on Facebook, it's time. Come on. Get with 2006, and let's make this happen. And for some reason, if you're still not, if you email, if you write playlist on the back of your Connect card, we will send you a link that makes available to you all of those daily scriptures that we'll be going through throughout the summer. So either way, uh, one way on Facebook's real easy to interact, the other way at least you'll get uh, what we've been reading and talking about. So you're gonna be building your life on something this summer. Something. We all build. That's clear. We all have difficulty that comes into our lives. That's clear. And if we all build on the solid rock of Christ, and his words, and his commands. When those dark times come in life, when those mistakes, when our life doesn't line up with God's commands, when that happens, we're going to be able to stand up against whatever storm comes into our life. Even if it hurts, even if we've made a big mistake, even if it's the 10th time we've made the same stupid mistake again, Jesus promises us your life won't fall apart. So join us this summer, and let's go through a journey in God's Word together and build on something that's worth building your life upon and that lasts. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words that build us up, that encourage us, and may we see your commands not as restricting, but life-giving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.